0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
1: And I'm Lauren Pogbaugh.
0: And, uh, let's see. We're looking at the topic here. Uh,
1: yeah, we got this one from. Where did we get it from, Jonathan?
0: Well, Lauren, I believe that would be from
1: Listener Meals. I really hope that Noel has soundscaped that. So that it was not as loud as it was here in the studio. But I,
0: however, hope he brought the klaxon back because it's been a long time since we've done that.
1: <laughs> Maybe a nice gentle klaxon.
0: Yes, a, a, a sweet tender klaxon.
1: <laughs> a caring klaxon
0: for <laughs> the future. To be fair, though, being loud and tacky is what this episode is going to be all about, right?
1: That is true because uh, our friend Cyber Knight. Whose name I'm guessing is not actually Cyber Night, though. If it is, congratulations. That is an amazing name.
0: Yeah. All I can say is that's all that came with the email.
1: Wrote into us via email and said, uh, here's something I wondered as we were watching the traditional Independence Day festivities. What kind of tech goes into a professional fireworks display? What do they use to sync up the fireworks with music? Is there fancy tech that goes into the creation of fireworks? Most of the ones I saw tonight were the standard fairs, starbursts that could change their colors they burned, Uh, though some twinkled like little Christmas lights flashing on and off in a way I wouldn't expect from just a chemical burn. I also remember years ago seeing some explode into a smiley face, though I haven't seen as many of those recently. I also wondered if there's anything that makes them safer, though I'm not sure how safe you could ever make something that's designed to explode. If it hasn't been done already, it might be cool to hear about how fireworks work.
0: And Cyber Knight, we are totally going to uh, meet your expectations. We are going we to hope. exceed them, actually, because there's so
1: attempt. much. stuff. There's a lot of science. There is. There's much, many, much sciences. In fact,
0: I would say more science than tech when you get down to it. Well, However, it's,
1: it's a technology of chemistry.
0: Yeah, it is applied chemistry. Yes. So and, there is,
1: uh, and we have. Demonstrated on the show previously that we like fire.
0: Yeah, we, we did a full episode. Oh, by the way, sorry we didn't talk about compression fire starters. Uh, I I had it in my notes, did not fill it out, and then we were taken to task for it. Rightfully so, I would say. But we're gonna we're gonna be very thorough as it turns out with fireworks because while I was thinking about it, you know, just covering the basics. The more I got into the chemistry, the more exciting it was, the more interesting it was, and the more I was like, well, I'm in for a penny and for a pound. If the government's gonna see how I'm looking about, you know, how to make gunpowder, <laughs> I might as well go all in. So yeah, we're going is- to talk all about it.
1: Definitely one of those that we're like, okay, well, what interesting watch lists are we on this yeah.
0: week? At least three or four more. <laughs> so we should probably define what a firework is for just just the purposes of framing the discussion, right?
1: Uh, sure. Well, at, you know, at its base, I suppose it's something that explodes for fun.
0: Yes, that's pretty much it. A firework is something that is explosive or combustible, and it's meant to... For display purposes, to to create an impressive light
1: display or, or noise, yeah, or and noise, or noise exactly,
0: yeah, you could get a, a firecracker, which is really meant to make a lot of noise, or you are you might get a, a Roman candle, which doesn't make a lot of noise but is very impressive light show, Uh and of course, then there's all the stuff that also falls into the fireworks category, including things like sparklers, that kind of stuff. We're mostly going to be focusing on. Your traditional fireworks—the stuff that you would go and look up into the sky and see that starburst—professional starburst.
1: displays that are launched from something into the air.
0: Exactly. So
1: big bada boom.
0: Your 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 common basic ingredients in fireworks are uh, well, it's black powder, also known as gunpowder. You know, pretty pretty simple.
1: <laughs> Rel- relatively simple. Yeah. Uh, it's traditionally made from sulfur, charcoal, and potassium nitrate, which back in ye old days, was called Saltpeter.
0: Yeah. And back in ye old days, you mostly got it from uh, India.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and at least if you were in the Western Hemisphere, you got it from India. Uh, in fact, I, I read an interesting article published in 1861 by the New York Times about the various powder mills, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, in the United States. And uh, essentially it was running down how the South didn't have enough powder mills for this Civil War thing to be a big deal. Uh, as it turns out, Four more years later, they probably felt like that was maybe a little premature.
1: I think, yeah, that that turned out to be less correct than yeah. they had hoped.
0: It was a, a, it, a certainly, you know, I think it was an optimistic take on what ended up being a very trying time in U.S. history. But we're going to focus on the fireworks. So speaking of history, looking at the history of fireworks, this is stuff of legend, as it turns
1: out. Oh, certainly. Because I mean, guess what? Neither of us were around uh, two to three thousand years ago to observe. And we don't have a real way back machine. Yeah. The, I'm really sorry, guys. We've been lying to you. It's all It's just this a time. special effect. It's a it's a
0: really special effect.
1: It It is. It is very special.
0: Unfortunately, if, if someone has not actually documented it in a way that is verifiable, we cannot, in fact, go back and say exactly what happened, but we can tell you what the legends are.
1: Yes, there's a legend that over 2,000 years ago in China, a chef, a chef, yeah. uh, was mixing together some charcoal, some sulfur, and some saltpeter.
0: Yeah, um, those were all ingredients that were found in field kitchens. In okay, the day. sure. So, uh, yeah, he apparently just accidentally happened to measure these in the, or, or mix these in the right uh, amounts because it's not like you have equal parts of each ingredient. It's actually more uh precise than that. We aren't going to talk about that because I don't want you guys making gunpowder. Yeah. So don't try that at home.
1: Uh, but this chef happened upon this recipe.
0: Yeah. Uh Discovered that if you compress it, like if you put it into a, a, a container of some sort, and then if it were to, I don't know, come into contact with any kind of flame, it blows up. I don't know if that chef survived this discovery because I, I don't even know if the chefs existed. <laughs> so it's all up in the air, really literally possibly depending upon where the gunpowder was. Now, if you look up the history of fireworks online, like if you were to actually go and put into your favorite search engine history of fireworks, you're going to find a particular story told repeatedly throughout numerous links, most of which go to like fireworks manufacturers.
1: And as like many other research topics on the Internet, they all tell basically the same story and basically the same wording.
0: Yeah. They uh, talk without, about a...
1: without any particular reference to yeah. anything real.
0: Yeah. There's no citation.
1: Right? But
0: yeah. So the so what the legend is, is that there was a monk in China named Li Xian who uh, lived around, quote, a thousand years ago. That is always the way it's put, by the way.
1: Around a thousand years ago. It's
0: never given a date. It just says around a thousand years ago. And so depending upon when this was written, you know, and anyway, so much so many different sources use the exact wording. I expect they all took their information from either the same source or they're just borrowing it from each other. It's just this big circle of people borrowing the same stuff. But the best scholarly source I could find simply said that the first firecracker was made sometime around 11th century Common Era in China. So 11th century AD, if you prefer, in China. And this was the time when Chinese alchemists were searching for something called the Elixir of Life. And along the way, while trying to find this Elixir of Life, they they mixed a bunch of different kinds of stuff together and found lots of interesting things. Not the Elixir Life, but as it turns out, they found out about gunpowder
1: is kind of like an elixir of death when you think about it. It
0: can be, certainly, with the with the uh, incorrect application. So the first firecracker was probably a, a parchment tube loosely filled with this mixture of saltpeter, sulfur, and willow charcoal. Willow charcoal, by the way, one of the more popular forms. Uh, as it turns out, you want to use uh, softer woods to create the charcoal because mm-hmm. the harder woods tend to create too much ash. Ah. I learned that while I was doing all this research. Now, Once these things were invented, they started to spread throughout the world gradually, usually through trade. Uh, Sometime between 1235 and 1290 A.D., Roger Bacon began to experiment with an early form of black powder. Uh, This was, again, stuff that had probably been brought to the Western world through uh, trade Trade routes. Yeah, mostly through uh, Arabic traders. Yeah. Most likely uh, the 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 story goes that Marco Polo brought some over, but it's much more likely that it was Arabic traders well before Marco Polo's mm-hmm. journeys.
1: uh But at any rate, Bacon's work would lead to the development of what we know as gunpowder today.
0: Yes, the, he would he would sort of uh, refine this mixture, finding the right uh, proportions of mixing these ingredients together to get something that would work very well if you wanted to, uh you know launch something at somebody, like, say, a cannonball.
1: Uh Sure, because if you mix all of these things together, you get a good, bright flash. And if you compress them beforehand, you get a big boom as well.
0: Yep. Yep. Otherwise, like, like if you've ever seen those uh, videos of or, or films of people taking the old timey photographs with the flash powder, uh-huh, yeah. where it just it just lights up. And that was how they created a flash since they didn't have the capacitors to make a, a flashing light bulb. That's what gunpowder does. If it's just out in the open, you've probably seen this. It's you know, it's also really popular in like cartoons and stuff. You see the long trail of gunpowder, and then
1: used as a fuse, right? exactly.
0: So that really is how it, it just burns really, really quickly. Now, the gunpowder industry and fireworks industry are very closely linked together. Improvements in developing gunpowder and the methodology for producing it were ported over to work in fireworks as well. And early fireworks displays were developed in China and India for religious festivals. Uh, there aren't really written accounts of how these fireworks spread throughout the world, but again, we think that Arabic traders probably brought this stuff over into Europe and the mm-hmm. Europeans said, wow, that's amazing.
1: That's awesome. Let's blow stuff up here too. Yeah. And
0: in fact, for a long time, they were importing this stuff from the, the East and in fact would even, uh, hire experts from the East to come and do the displays in, in Europe. It would only be, in the late Middle Ages, early Renaissance, when you'd start seeing Europeans try and take on this responsibility themselves. Uh, now, by the Italian Renaissance, fireworks creators began to experiment with adding extra ingredients to mixtures to produce different colors of light. So, for example, adding copper to create blue light. We'll talk more about adding color to fireworks a bit later. So, The thing is, if you want to learn more about what the displays back in the Middle Ages were like, there are only a few accounts. A lot of them, though, come from England because it turns out the English were bananas over this stuff. The Italians and Germans were working really hard on improving fireworks technology and the English were enjoying the heck out of it. (laughs) Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at
2: concur.com. That's C O N C U R.com. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber Lives Like a Gaguine Available wherever you'll get your podcast. Limited to availability in select areas. Visit ATNT.com slash hypergig for details.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So one of the accounts
0: says that during the wedding of Henry VII, also known as Henry Tudor, and Elizabeth of York in 1486, there were, uh, fireworks displays. Others talk more about Elizabeth's coronation. So there's a little bit of a argument there. Same is true for Henry VIII wedding, uh, Anne Boleyn, which was, uh, wife number, uh, two,
1: I think. I think
0: she had a good head on her shoulders. Not uh, for long. not for long. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, James Anthony Froud wrote that there were, quote, wild men casting fire and making a hideous noise, end quote, which I think is a fantastic description of fireworks. Yeah. When I was a kid, I hated them because I didn't like loud noise. And even just seeing the fireworks burst in the sky made me made my anxiety levels go up because oh. I knew a loud noise was coming.
1: Right, right. Um, I, I remember having one year where I was really upset by them, like i loved them and then suddenly was like, that's loud and I'm against it.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've come back around now. But for <laughs> a long good. time, I was I was certainly the person who was like, I don't want to be here when the fireworks start. Uh, my anyway, dog agrees with you, for the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I most dogs I've encountered uh, shared my My feeling, I think I finally evolved beyond dog stage.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn had a daughter, Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, somewhat famous. Yes. Uh, It became Queen of England and uh, uh, sat on her thorn for many years. Throne, throne, sorry. I was just misreading my notes. But uh, no, Elizabeth, obviously one of the most influential um, monarchs of all time, really. Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, And she, she loved the sparklies. She, no, did. she did. She, she, she
1: created a position for it. Specifically. Yeah,
0: Firemaster of England. Um It would be. I think it was after in the the uh, ruling of uh, James the first when that position came along with the knighthood. At any rate, you had people who suddenly really wanted to pursue the craft and become the best at it in order to land this cushy job of being the Firemaster of England, because you would imagine. That comes with some sweet, you know, bonuses Mm -hmm. like money.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so a lot of people were trying new and different things to kind of impress the queen. Yeah. that juncture.
0: Yeah. According to some accounts, one of the things you might expect to see at a truly outrageous display would be a dragon with paper mache scales that was loaded up with fireworks so that it would breathe fire. It would appear to be breathing fire. And sometimes they would have more than one. And then you would have dragon fights. Yes. And then maybe one of them ends up catching on fire and the other one is slightly less on fire. And so that's the one that wins. <laughs> um, but they would battle one another. And so you read about this kind of stuff and you're like, wow, these these had to be pretty spectacular. And then you also think, remember, they had no automated way of oh, yeah. doing this. There was yeah. probably some poor jerk who had a, a matchstick or some form of, of torch or something that was lighting this stuff manually and then trying to get the heck away from it before he burnt up
1: yeah or, or possibly a couple guys on the ground like with sticks holding these things up yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit terrified about the entire concept but uh, but yeah no they were very impressive Shakespeare even wrote uh, wrote about them in some of his plays right yep
0: Romeo and Juliet there is a quote that says these violent delights have violent ends and in their triumph die like fire and powder which as they kiss consume." Now, in that case, of course, he's referring to the lovers, Romeo and Juliet, and the passion they have for one another. And he's likening it to a fireworks display, which, you know, has been a pretty powerful uh, mm, image that sure. has been repeated ad nauseum ever since. Uh, the whole thing where the two lovers kiss and then you see the fireworks going off in the background uh, very much. It's interesting that it seems to have originated with Shakespeare, as many things so many things have. have. Uh also fireworks were deemed to be an illegal possession for regular citizens right around 1605.
1: Uh yeah that that's about when a certain persona yeah now publicly known because of a certain movie Mass, and comic book series yeah. yes uh, guy fox got into some trouble with the gunpowder plot.
0: Yes, he was part of a conspiracy to blow up the Houses of Parliament by storing something like 30-something casks of gunpowder underneath. They were going to tunnel underneath the Houses a of Parliament.
1: wheelbarrow all that stuff in there.
0: And then light it and blow it up. And uh, the conspirators were caught before they could uh, execute their plan. And Guy Fawkes himself, uh, who was not necessarily the ringleader, he was one of the members, right. um, was really made an example of in some of the most horrifying ways you can imagine. Now, granted, he was planning on committing a terrible act, yes. but they did a really terrible act to him drawn and quartered. And of course, oh, yeah. they had Guy Fawkes Day for, you know, the early Guy Fawkes Days involved lots of uh, burning of Guy Fawkes and effigy. Um, And then there's a whole story there that's amazing. But Stuff You Missed in History class would really be the best place to cover that. And I'm sure they have, actually.
1: I I feel like it's likely. Uh, Yeah, these these days we have the charming anonymous masks. Yes. Um,
0: based off Guy (laughs) Fawkes. Based off Guy Fawkes. Exactly. So at that point, it was made illegal for the common citizen to possess fireworks. The only people who were allowed were uh, specifically given that that um, responsibility by the crown. So. That's kind of the the early early history, but let's talk about what's actually going on inside a firework. What is what is making it work?
1: Uh well, this is mostly chemistry, but let's let's talk about black powder since that is that is the basic what is going on
0: here. Yeah. So, we talked about sulfur, charcoal, and saltpeter or potassium nitrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might wonder what are these things actually doing within gunpowder. So sulfur and charcoal are acting as fuel, right? And the potassium nitrate is acting as an oxidizer. So oxidizers, in this sense, are the chemicals that fuel requires in order to burn. If you remember the the great triangle of what is required to make fire, mm-hmm. you have to have fuel, you have to have oxygen, and you have to have heat. Those are the three things that together will allow you to have fire. And if you're lacking any of those you're not going to get it. If you have just oxygen and fuel, and but not heat, it's not going to happen. Same thing with just oxygen and fire. You've got to have some fuel there.
1: Uh, so oxidizers are chemicals that are really good at uh, getting oxygen into the mix. There.
0: Yes. And in fact, potassium nitrate is incredibly good at this. So let's look at these ingredients each on their own. If you look at just charcoal, which is essentially carbon, and you want to try and burn it, if you were to light a match and just hold it to charcoal, it doesn't really ignite very well.
1: Uh, yeah, it kind of, it kind of smolders. Yeah. And smokes. Yeah. It, and, and if you get it hot enough, like it will start to burn, certainly. Yeah, yeah but it'll
0: start to glow. Glow. Uh huh. It doesn't, you don't get a lot of flame out of it.
1: You, you've probably done this at home, perhaps on a charcoal grill. Right. Or, uh, when you have burned a log down to yep. the coals.
0: Yeah, you've got those, those coals are, that's charcoal that's just glowing because of the the heat that's coming through. We'll talk about the actual mechanism of glowing a little bit later too. Uh, so again, you don't get a lot of ignition, not not a lot of flame, and no certainly boom. not explosive ignition. Yeah,
1: probably unless you've done something very strange. Right,
0: unless unless your charcoal has got some other funky ingredients in
1: it, or I guess you've compressed it <laughs> a lot.
0: I, maybe I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> I uh, eventually you would get a diamond. So, but sulfur. It burns at a lower temperature than charcoal does, than carbon does. It ignites more easily, but not really at room temperature. So if you had a little crucible, let's say a little ceramic crucible filled Uh with some, some sulfur, and you put a match to it, it wouldn't really light up. But again, if you were to heat it, it'll start to melt, and then it will burn if exposed to even higher temperatures, and that gives off sulfur dioxide, which, by the way... Not good to breathe in,
1: no, it can um, irritate your lungs. one of the many reasons why you shouldn't melt sulfur at home,
0: yeah, yeah these these things like charcoal, that's fairly fairly benign <laughs> as things go yeah, sulfur a little bit less so
1: <laughs> uh, potassium nitrate, less so than either of the other two,
0: yeah, this is what increases that rate of combustion significantly when it's added to a mixture of carbon and sulfur again in the correct amounts. So when it's mixed properly, that combination will ignite and burn really, really quickly.
1: Um, and it is it is, the of course, the traditional oxidizer in this combination of yeah. stuff that goes into black powder. But lots of other things can be used, for example, potassium chlorate, potassium perchlorate or barium nitrate. And uh, as of 2011, organizations from like Walt Disney Company to the U.S. Department of Defense have started looking at green alternatives to all of these oxidizers. Uh and I say green and you go like what you're making stuff explode how green does it need to be Right But the thing is is that um well, <laughs> okay so it turns out the dangerous chemicals can present health and environmental hazards mm-hmm. um and potassium nitrate specifically is a really common ingredient in herbicides Potassium chlorate is a harsh ingredient in disinfectants. Potassium perchlorate can disrupt the production of hormones in the thyroid and harm unborn babies. And uh, barium nitrate can interfere with heart and breathing functions. So none of that is good fun times. And and so a lot of research has been put in recent years into trying to figure out uh, better ways of burning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That isn't releasing these chemicals into the environment and showering them over crowds of fawning onlookers or, you know, into your water supply or et right. cetera.
0: For example, potassium chlorate is a great example. Potassium chlorate is this stuff, a great example of a bad, uh, you know, bad ingredient as, as opposed to one that's green. Uh, potassium chlorate ends up creating a more explosive, uh, burn than, say, potassium nitrate does. Potassium nitrate's already pretty impressive, but if you ever watch someone create potassium chlorate uh, a mixture of sulfur charcoal and potassium chlorate in the right amounts and then light it 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 lights even it burns even faster than mm. the regular black powder mixture uh and so it's often used in something called a a burst charge which we'll talk about later okay but like you said it leaves some pretty nasty stuff behind chlorate if you look at that word chlorate, you realize that chlorine is one of those things that's involved in this. And that's one of the byproducts is you get this chlorine released as as one of the, the remnants after the chemical reaction that happens when you ignite this stuff. Chlorine is not good stuff, folks. You don't don't want just pure chlorine all over the place. It's no. it's toxic. So, no. you know, that's one of those things where uh, a lot more research needs to be done in order to make the stuff really safe.
1: Uh, right now, two things: sodium periodate and potassium parietate are starting to move into use as yeah. substitutes, m- more clean substitutes right. for the traditional ones. Because the
0: trick is that you have to find something that's going to uh, facilitate this rapid burning. If you don't have that, then obviously you can't do the fireworks, at least not the way we're accustomed to. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll you know hope that that kind of stuff gets further distributed throughout the entire industry. So that we have a less, uh, you know, negative impact on the environment and potentially on, on the viewers of Fireworks displays or just the people who happen to live around those areas.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, This this also goes into, I mean, the Department of Defense wasn't involved in that because of the fireworks displays necessarily so much as as this is useful also for anything else that you're using gunpowder for, which for the Department of Defense is many things. And, you know, trying to protect the lives of our munitions workers and also our, our soldiers and troops and everyone else.
0: Absolutely. Working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com.
2: That's C-O-N-C-U-R.com. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with Naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
3: So, how
0: is it made? Don't try this at home.
1: Yes, do not.
0: This is one of those things that if you are, if you're part of a lab and the lab has the facilities to do it and you can make it in small amounts, it's a very interesting process. But this is not something for you to ever try on your own because if you got the mixture either just right or just wrong, bad things can happen. Yes. But generally speaking, here's what the process is. And I'm not, again, going to explain the specific amounts first you would have to reduce each ingredient to fine grains of powder and you would want to do this separately yes right you this you don't mix them together first so you get your charcoal and you mash it up so you got charcoal powder you get your sulfur you make sure you you pound out any any clumps so that you just get a fine powder same thing with your saltpeter you want to make sure all of that stuff is as fine as you possibly can make it then you mix those ingredients together with a little water or some other liquid for example and I'm not making this up one of the Liquids I saw was stale urine.
1: Stale urine.
0: Stale urine.
1: Specifically stale.
0: Yes, I am not joking, because it allows for a more consistent burn.
1: All right.
0: I, um, yeah. All right. So anyway, you mix it in with this liquid to help these different ingredients bind together. Usually, you have some sort of binding agent. Mm -hmm. What some something that's going to help them stick together in the right in the right amounts. Saltpeter, as it turns out, is really soluble, and it'll fill in all those nice little spaces in charcoal pretty easily. Charcoal has a lot of surface area, mm-hmm. so it's it's a good mix. Then you let the mixture dry. It becomes kind of like a cake-like mass. It, it solidifies. Like a,
1: like a hard biscuit.
0: Yeah. Then Less have,
1: like a red velvet cake.
0: Right. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's much more dense. <laughs> also, much more likely to explode than your traditional red velvet. Uh,
1: Fingers crossed. Yes.
0: You then crush this dry ma- mass with something that will totally not cause sparks.
1: Please.
0: Yeah, you don't use any nothing that's gonna potentially create a spark. So usually it's ceramic or non-sparking metals or something along those lines. Stone, just regular stone, not like flint steel, because that'd be a <laughs> terrible idea to turn it into a powder. Um, this is one of the reasons why it's challenging to make this stuff in huge amounts. Uh, particularly for someone who doesn't have like a powder mill at their disposal, they, they the the accounts I read were especially for people who are like uh, 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 military recreationists, people, people who create uh, they recreate like the the famous battles and sure. they want to have black powder muskets. They're not firing musket balls, but they want to be able to have that big, loud bang and smoke. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about making us. It's a little hard if you want to make more than, say, 10 pounds of the stuff at a time. I'm like, you know, keeping in mind that 10 pounds of gunpowder, especially if it's in a compact container, could be incredibly dangerous.
1: I just had a very mild panic attack thinking about any of the people that I personally know who dress up in costumes and run around the woods firing fake guns at each other, having 10 pounds of gunpowder at their disposal. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it certainly is one of those things where you do need to know the best practices to safely handle this stuff because it really is incredibly dangerous. But uh, at that point. In this process, you're done. You've got your gunpowder. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, if you do want to make large quantities, uh, how did those powder mills work that you were mentioning earlier? So,
0: yeah, usually you would have uh, some sort of, of bowl-like uh, surface, and then you'd have a grinding wheel that would be powered either by horsepower, manpower, or water wheel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a mill, you know, the kind of mill that you would see for any other sort of thing, grinding grain, for example. And what you would do is you would you would mix all these ingredients together and then you would put that in the mill for it to grind up into the the proper um, fine powder that you would need to use as black powder. Again, you would have to make sure that all the equipment you had was not likely to cause a spark.
1: Uh, Right. Wood or stone or something very uh, non
0: spark making. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's hard. Non spark worthy. It's kind of hard to to put it into words properly.
1: It is uh, incombustible.
0: Yes, that's good. One other interesting feature that a lot of these powder mills had was that at least one wall, sometimes more than one, was specifically built weaker than the other walls. The other walls would support more of the the structure's weight.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, so that if everything in the factory exploded, it would be easier for people to get out.
0: Well, or easier for firefighters to get in. Uh yeah, cuz I mean if you are caught inside that building when there's an explosion, there's probably parts of you got out. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's, it It was meant so that it could open up a, an easy pathway for any, uh, reactionary
1: measures, measures, to be taken. right. Whether yeah.
0: that's putting out fires or, you know, dealing with the aftermath. I mean, you, you didn't necessarily have people inside these things all the time while they oh, were right, grinding away right, anyway, sure. but it was meant to, as this way. It, like, let's say if you have it as a water wheel, you know, it means you, you're near a source of water, running water. You might have the wall that is closest to the running water uh, blow out. So that way, if there is a fire, you can you've got the water right there. Right there so you yeah. can start a, a, a bucket brigade type thing.
1: No, I, that's a, I, I kind of had a facepalm moment thinking about that one. But now that you mention it, really, that's I sort of want all of my buildings to be structurally weaker on one side. I so mean, that if, that if nothing else, so that I could just Kool-Aid yeah. man right out of any. situation. <laughs> that <I laughs> that would be to. fair.
0: Yeah. There are so many times where I, I just think that I need to have the Jonathan shaped dust. <laughs> cloud and then the wall, the the Jonathan-shaped hole in the wall where I've made my escape. Uh,
1: Uh, So these days we don't have so many water wheels kicking around in large factory facilities.
0: We do have some machine versions that will do the crushing. But again, it's really tricky because you have to make sure that that machinery is not going to have any kind of sparking element to it. Oh, yeah. So in other words, the motors can't be sparking, not just the rollers or whatever. So you have to make sure that the uh, the materials you're using, the the surface and the rollers that are doing the crushing are not going to create any sparks.
1: And furthermore, that they're going to be cool enough to not risk heating, igniting and it. Igniting yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So it's it's one of those things that really took a lot of of effort to get it right so that it could be created safely, or at least as safely as possible. Accidents still happen. I mean, you've probably heard of accidents. Whether they were in facilities that were processing black powder or a fireworks warehouse, these things do happen. So it it really drives home the fact that you've got to treat it with respect. Oh right? sure,
1: sure. Uh, okay, so once you've got your black powder, how do you assemble the fireworks themselves?
0: Okay, so basically, and we'll talk more about this in in a, a, a our part two about fireworks. But mm-hmm. basically, what you need to do is do it by hand, because <laughs> automated <laughs> versions again tend to. Have equipment that could create a spark, and so you. Most fireworks are are handmade, hand packed. So if you if you were to uh, take a uh, typical firework, like a big one, one that's used in a professional display, uh, these things tend to weigh several pounds. They can be in lots of different shapes. It all depends upon the effect you want. We'll talk about that in the next episode too. But if you were to cut it in half, you would see that you would have a core. Of this black powder, whether it was made with potassium nitrate or potassium chlorate or some other oxidizer involved, mm-hmm. but the black powder would be at the core, and you would have these other little elements inside the firework that are meant to be projected outward after the the core explodes. Ah, oh, right.
1: Probably suspended in clay or something stable like yeah. that. Right.
0: Right. And then you would also have another, but at the the base of your projectile, uh, to, to, if you have in fact a two stage uh, firework, we'll talk about the different uh, options in the next episode. But at the base of your firework, you would also have a lift charge, which would be uh, ignited uh, another, first.
1: Right, right. Another little gunpowder puck.
0: Yeah. So you would have that at the base of it, and that's what would provide it the energy to lift out of the mortar, the basically the tube you have, to fire it off into the sky. So it's, it's really a two-chamber, at least a minimum of two-chamber approaches if you're using the traditional method of launching. Although uh, the Mouse House has come up with a totally different way of launching fireworks that doesn't require that separate uh, blast chamber, the lift chamber. But uh, we'll talk about that in our next episode. Uh,
1: yeah, because although we did not mention it at the top of this episode because we weren't entirely sure how long we were going to run here, but we seem to have run more or less to the end of of our time today. So yeah. so we are going to cut off here. And when we come back in the next episode, we're going to talk about how, how technicians add color Yep. Into this sort of thing. How
0: they create the various shapes, the various effects, like the smiley face that, that, uh, Cyber Knight mentioned. Uh huh. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. We'll also give you some, uh, ideas of how the really big, the, like, the choreographed, displays uh, what displays work. Put off. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about, of course, Disney, cause that, they're one of the, Um, I'd say one of the pioneers in that space. Like they really choreograph it down so that their fireworks displays try and tell a story. So we'll talk about how they manage that. And then uh, I think we've got some fun, like just random bits of trivia that I found interesting that didn't really fit in other parts of the episode. So definitely stay tuned. We're going to uh, talk all about that in our next episode. And if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, uh, any sort of topic at all, like you've always wanted to know a question, or maybe you just want to ask us a question that isn't necessarily a full episode. It's just something you've always wanted to know. Let us know. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can write us, our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Our handle at all three is hsw. and Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
0: Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening